Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Okay, okay, hello the skanks and kinksters, the queers and breeders. This is Billy Presida and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. How are we doing? I am, I'm doing... I'm feeling warm and tingly. I just watched the penultimate episode of House MD, one of my favorite shows, uh, going through a months-long marathon of it on Netflix. And so the next episode is the last episode of the whole series. It's a very sad episode. Uh, and the one I just finished watching has a song at the end of it called Euphoria by Metopony. The song has a lot of strings, a lot of high-pitched noises that make me start to tear up. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling weird. But when I'm not tearing up at a soft piano melody accompanied by light stringed instruments, I'm in better spirits. I'm in great spirits because, guys, we have a a fantastic, we have a special guest today. Uh, This is the first guest on the show that I have not kissed, fondled, hooked up with, or seen naked, guys. This week we have Dr. Jana Vrangalova. And it took me a lot of practice to get that name right. But she is a, she's actually a very accomplished uh, sex researcher, sex blogger, and sex educator. Uh, she lives out, out here in New York City. And I had the, the t- absolute delight and pleasure to, to interview her and talk to her about some of her research, talk about some, uh, some casual sex topics. Very informative, very fun stuff. Before we get to that, I got to remind you guys, uh, th- again, if any tri-staters in the area, this Friday, June 20th, it's not this Friday if you're listening to this after Friday, but if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, hell, or even Thursday, or I guess on Friday, then yes, this Friday. Otherwise, you missed it, and shame on you. Uh, it's fine. But the, uh, June 20th, guys, I am at I am uh, competing in the Slaughter Stand-Up Summer Showdown over in Slotsburg, New York, at Characters Bar and Restaurant, uh, 8 o'clock. It's the first round. Would love anyone's support if you want to come on out. Free admission. Watch a fun show. Come hug the whore afterwards. We'll have a good time. I just posted the pictures of my Amsterdam trip up to Facebook. And, I, and I'm not a big picture taker because I like to actually live my life, so I don't try to live it behind a camera. That's what freshman year of college is for. And, and I'm, I was listening to that, and I'm watching the, that House episode just now, and it made me, be, I'm recording this a day earlier than I normally would, but I just felt this, I was overcome with this emotion listening to that song, Euphoria. Feeling like, no, I gotta, I gotta talk this one out. You know, it's just, I'm still surprised that I did that trip, man. It's, it was like freeing and just very much changing my vibe. Because I would never do that. I mean, the fact that, I, I, you know, you get urges all the time. And you always say, oh, I wish I would have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. I totally was going to do it. But then I had this thing. And then, there, you know, Courtney had a birthday party. I wasn't going to miss it for that. And no, I just said, fuck it. And I went, man. You know, I had this urge to do something different and exciting. And then on a whim, like, I bought a ticket on a Sunday. And, dude, like, four days later, I got on a plane to Europe by myself on my birthday the feeling i got not just when i clicked purchase on that ticket but when 
when I finally landed, not even when I landed in Amsterdam, it's when I was finally walking down Wormer Strait in Amsterdam Central. That f- the exhilaration I felt could, could be compared to nothing else I've done in this first quarter century of my life on this earth. You know, I'm, I'm sitting out there reading my book shirtless under the bright Netherlands sun in Vondelpark, and I'm just like, man... This is a new Billy Presida. This is a Billy who says yes to things. This is a guy who tries new stuff. This is a guy who's who's willing to be happy. And guy, you know, it's I'm happy to share this feeling with you guys. Which I'm sure none of you want to hear because you're not you guys don't tune in to be like, oh Billy, that's good for you. You're feeling happy. No, you guys are here to hear. You're here to listen to people talk about dating and fucking, and that's what you guys are here for. I'll stop, bo- unless you guys tell me to, I'll stop boring you with the the feel-good stuff. I'm just trying to say, guys, I'm in a really good mood. I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling euphoric, all right? So let's get to the part that you guys are here to listen to. This is This is what you're here for, right? Dr. Jana Rangalava. Amazing conversation. I don't even need to intro her, guys, because uh, self-explanatory. You want to hear some cool shit about uh, casual sex and some actual research? You know, I never claim to be an expert on anything uh, officially on this show or anywhere. Because, again, I'm just a guy. All I can share is uh, my own experiences and what I've learned from those. But now we get to actually hear from someone who is an expert, and I love it. Uh, and we, we had a very uh, intelligent, uh, interesting, n- good conversation about casual sex and the hookup culture and sexuality. I loved it. She even called me out at some point, guys, because, again, sometimes you have these things ingrained in your brain. You don't even mean what you said, but it just comes out so naturally because that's how you've been conditioned in the society to think about sex. So uh, I think you guys will really enjoy listening to her, you know. We talk about slut shaming a bit. We talk about various in-between sexualities, how uh, uh, some fluid sexuality. Talk about casual sex and the hookup culture. And we talk about some people who've had sex with thousands of people. Where do they find the time? Sit back and relax. I want you to enjoy this episode because I very much enjoyed recording it. I'm very much uh, happy to bring it to you. And I hope you guys have done something this week that makes you feel euphoric. I hope you guys satisfy an urge that you're feeling, whether it's... uh, to build something, paint something, go to a place, fuck a person in an interesting way, say hi to that pretty girl at the coffee shop. Just do it. Brings you to another level. Okay, sluts, let's go talk to the doc. When your mission is beyond missionary, step up your game with Liberator. Their collection of transformable sex furniture and sex toy mounts will put you in sexual positions you never thought were possible. Use promo code MANHOR and save 40% off the best-selling Wedge Ramp Combo 
at liberator.com. As we age, our bodies are changing. Certain parts need more support than they used to. Other areas are getting a little sore or faster. And that's why it's important to make sex more comfortable. And that's where Liberator comes in. Liberator has been making fuck furniture to make sex more comfortable, more pleasurable, and last longer for decades. Their best-selling wedge ramp combo gets you in the right positions just a little easier, just a little bit more comfortable, which means you're ready to be in that position longer and harder. And you can get 40% off Liberator's wedge ramp combo when you use promo code MANHOR at liberator.com. Or you can click the link at the top of the notes to go right to the product. Again, 40% off their best-selling wedge ramp combo with promo code MANHOR. Or you can just browse around liberator.com and upgrade your sex life today. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Again, probably not even probably cut this out. Although maybe I won't. I, I a lot of the times I'll say, yeah, I'm gonna probably cut that out, and then I never and do. Then you don't. <laughs> um, but what is the uh, tattoo? The tattoo on my arm says uh, "Creatio ergo sum," which means "I create, therefore I am" in Latin. That's sort of my spin on Descartes' um, old saying: "I think, therefore I am." Cogito ergo sum. Right on. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, it's by. Um, and oh, artists, goes up even further, yeah. Yeah, there's an inkwell with the ink flowing down. That's the sort of the idea, because you know, writing, writing in many ways is my creation, um, and uh, scientific writing and, and popular writing as well. But um, the artist is a French artist uh, called Loïc, um, who comes to New York once a year mm-hmm. or twice a year and does guesswork out of a studio here. Very unique. Very cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as, as is most of the the art and, and, and things around it. Even in just your building, the, the lights in your stairwell. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is Billy Presida with the Man Horror Podcast. We've got a, uh, a very lovely special episode today with a special, special guest. Uh, today, we're sitting down with a woman with a very long list of accomplishments here. Sex researcher, blogger, and educator. She's uh, also an adjunct professor at New York University, my alma mater. Uh, she's also a postdoc at the National Development and Research Institutes. That sounds really cool. She's been published in many places, uh, including the Journal of Sex Research, Archives of Sexual Behavior, Journal of Youth and Adolescence, uh, Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. A lot of journals, a lot of... <laughs> That's all my academic stuff. <laughs> uh, also uh, writes for psychologytoday.com. She's, uh, she's been mentioned in and appeared on uh, New York Magazine, New York Daily News, Salon, Jezebel, Huffington Post Live, uh, even the Sex Nerd Sandra podcast. <laughs> Guys, um, uh, please put your hands together, which we're not going to hear, for Dr. Sean... Sh- <laughs> 
such a hard name. Jana Vrangalova. Guys, Dr. Jana Vrangalova. <laughs> Thank you for, for being here today. Sorry for having such a difficult name to pronounce. No, it's a very impressive name. I should just be a better person and mm. be able to do that. But I'm just trying to make it hard for Americans. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> uh, how are you uh, t- today? I'm on this doing lovely great. Day? Thank very, you. Very well. Uh, so you are a uh, very well-accomplished sex researcher <laughs> with uh, with lots of interesting stuff I've read about. You you write a lot about non-monogamy and uh, a thing you call mostly heterosexuality, which I'm going to ask you about in a bit. Uh, you've also got this thing, the Casual Sex Project, which I kind of want to start off with. It's uh, definitely taken off. Uh, Huffington Post covered it recently. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the Casual Sex Project? The Casual Sex Project is... Um an online space, basically a website or a blog, um, where people can post their hookup stories, mm. real, true, you know, um, casual sex experiences. So anything that does not involve a long-term romantic partner, whether it's, you know, your proto- prototypical, you know, one-night stand or friends with benefits, fuck buddies, um, sex with an ex, you know, paid sex, anything sort of that d- doesn't fall into that long-term relationship um, sex category, mm. and it can be. Positive, negative, mediocre, you know, both, a little bit of everything. Um, so there are, no, there are no restrictions other than it has to be casual sex. Okay. So it's open to people from all over the world, um, all ages, races, sexes, gender, genders, sexual orientations, right? Anyone, anyone with a story is welcome to submit one. Now, some people might be, th- I, I get it, uh, but some other people might be thinking, why? <laughs> well, the aren't some things sacred? <laughs> well, I'm sure for some people, some things are sacred, and mm. um, everyone, you know, thinks of uh, what is sacred to them. Uh, those things differ, uh, but um, there's been a lot of talk recently. There's been a lot of presence in the media and in uh, people's lives of the hookup culture Mm. and casual sex and there's been a lot of talk about what it is is it good for young people or is it ruining them for life um you know um, how to go about it um and it is often very black or white um it is either presented as you know a very good thing or a very bad thing, uh, but we often sort of lose the nuances there, um, and we or we fail to see them. And um, I think it's important for people to have a space to both share their stories, and by doing that, it helps them make sense of their stories. We know from research that kind of writing down something that happened, an experience that happened to you, um, helps you make sense of it. <clears throat> figure out why you did it and what that meant to you. And Right now, there's been a lot over the last uh, few months, a lot of slut-shaming-oriented stories in the mm-hmm. news between Bell Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the other girl out in, I think it was Minnesota, who killed herself when uh, they found the one video she did. There's, uh, I mean, you got Scout, Bruce Willis's daughter, doing the topless thing. We, I mean, there was a lot of slut-shaming stories in the news and I think a lot of it, a lot of people don't know. They think no one's doing all these like crazy sex <laughs> stories. They do know them. They just don't know that they know them. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, unless, you know, you're doing it yourself or have, you know, friends who are sharing these stories with you, you don't really have a firsthand kind of, you know, accounts or experience of what happens. And so there's a lot of 
a lot of stereotypes and myths and, and, and prejudices that may or may not be true. And so I, you know, the idea of having the casual sex project up was really to show the, what real people every day, you know, not celebrities, yeah. not the people, you know, who, um, end up in, in the media necessarily, just regular people. What do, what, what do they do and, and what kind of roles, um, does casual sex play in their lives and what does that look like? Do do they like it? Do they not? Are they enjoying these experiences? Uh, are these positive things in their lives or are they negative? And um, kind of how are they d- going about them? Just, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot that we can all learn from people sharing these kinds of stories. And <clears throat> the format um, of the story the story submissions is not free form. So Mm. people don't just get to write whatever they want about their hookup. There's a very specific set of questions that they um, answer. Of course, they don't have to answer any questions that they don't want to, but there's a specific set of questions about themselves. So things like, um, you know, age, race, where they're from, uh, sexual orientation, religious um, orientation, uh, relationship status, number of previous partners and then there's a set of questions about the hookup itself so who was their partner and how they knew their partner then uh you know who instigated and how the hookup you know started happening uh was their planning involved or not uh then what happened during the hookup what kind of behaviors they engaged in um you know so it's a little bit clinical well yeah oh absolutely yeah they're not um you know penthouse letters um although it it depends i mean some people (laughs) some people do write in a way that you know might give a few people a hard on or you know wet uh underwear but um a lot of them are not a lot of them are sort of matter of factly and um these questions um i pulled them out of actual research studies on hookups because that's what i've been studying for a lot of my grad school career um and I just graduated um, from Cornell. I got my PhD about six, seven months ago, and, mm-hmm. and my dissertation was on casual sex and uh, how it's related to mental health. So this is something that I've been studying and reading about in the academic literature. And so many of the questions that are up um, now in the Casual Sex Project are actually from um, studies. So it, it kind of gives you um, a, a very, you know, a set of, um, you know, information um, about each each story that is fairly consistent across you know all the different stories that you would read, um, and you know it ends with questions like you know <clears throat> did you um, you know use condoms uh, was this consensual you know do you regret it and if so why what was the worst thing about it what was the best thing about it what did you learn from it did it change any you know how you think about yourself and sexuality and all of that so you don't just get you know the salacious moments of what happened and um, uh, and and where or whatever, but you actually get what this means to the people and how they um, uh, have made sense of it. So you know there are stories where people will say, um, "This was the best sex I've ever had," and um, it really opened me up to new possibilities. It, it showed me that um, you know my body is a sexual organ, and there are all these you know new things that I can do that I wasn't aware of. Um, uh, before, um, and for others, it was one of the worst things that happened to them, and they don't ever want to have casual sex again. It really made it clear for them that you know this is not for them. That um, they either maybe get attached too easily, or um, <clears throat> they just can't enjoy um, and really let go with you know with a partner that who they don't know very well or don't feel don't you know connected 
um, to. And so you, you get the whole spectrum of experiences, which is, I think, the beauty of the project. Which then shows that everything is just an individual thing. You know, it's all individual preference. So it's not a project to say, hey, everyone should go have casual sex. It's also not a thing that's uh, going off to say uh, no one should do it because it's, it's, it's really whatever's your bag, man. Doesn't matter what everyone else is. It's about what is good for you. Absolutely, for you. absolutely. That was um, that was my main goal. If there is any sort of agenda behind the project, is to show that it's it's not one thing. That it's a it's a it's not a homogenous kind of experience that is the same for everyone. That there is a a huge variety of um, experiences, um, and that's also what. Uh, um, research, new research that's recently coming out um, is showing, and, and some of my research, <clears throat> some of my research has been precisely on looking at um, the different factors that the, the relationship between casual sex and mental health might depend on. So instead of looking at it as, you know, just comparing the people who've had casual sex to those who haven't and saying, uh, well, those who've had casual sex say are more depressed or have lower self-esteem. I've instead tried to look at, well, within the group of people who are having casual sex, are there subgroups of people who are maybe doing it, you know, in the right way and then benefiting from their experiences versus those who are doing it the wrong way? Or are there personality differences? So uh, maybe for some types of people, you know, casual sex is a positive thing and, and they're well-being benefits from it and for some other types of people uh, it detracts from their well-being um, and uh, the data seems to support that so for example one of my studies that <clears throat> just came out um, found that for people who have positive and in many ways this is maybe pretty intuitive but this, this is the first study to really show that that for people who have positive attitudes toward casual sex so think that it's an okay thing to do and um, there's nothing wrong with it, right? Um, and also who desire it um, in their lives, who, you know, when they see someone uh, who they don't know but think is attractive, they actually think about, oh, maybe I want to have sex with this person or, you know, how often they fantasize about having sex with someone that they're not in a relationship with. So for those people who are sort of high on these positive attitudes and positive desires to a casual sex, when they have casual sex, their depression goes down, their anxiety goes down, their self-esteem goes up, their life satisfaction goes up. Mm. Like on those weeks when they'll hook up, their well-being benefits. On weeks on which they don't hook up... For the people who who dig casual sex. Exactly. You weren't trying to be like, well, let's see how it affects everyone. Let's like, Well, the people who enjoy it, does it really make them feel better? Exactly. Yeah. And for the people who don't... Um, so the, for the people who have negative attitudes toward it, who, who think, you know, this is this is wrong, right, in some way, and also who don't have um, interest, who don't really have the desire to do it. But, you know, they sometimes end up doing it too. And for those people, it's where we find that, um, uh, you know, they don't get these um, mental health benefits. And in some cases, they actually, um, you know, their well-being kind of goes down when they do it, as opposed to, you know, weeks when they don't um, have casual sex. And this is not something that's, specific to casual sex necessarily. You know, we know from prior research that whenever you do, whenever you engage in behaviors that are congruent 
with who you are, with your desires and values and attitudes, your well-being flourishes and you're better at that activity that you're engaging in. Uh, you know, when you're engaging in things that kind of go against your true self, then your well-being suffers. And this is just as true of casual sex as of anything else. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and with, alternatively from the casual sex project, you also have this other one which I find very interesting. Uh, I believe it's a, a documentary or, or a book that you're working on called The 1K Project. For, for people, I guess you're interviewing or studying people who have had at least a thousand sexual partners. A thousand? A thousand? <laughs> I, thousand. I, was, I was just like, you, you know, on your website, it says, you know, if you think you would qualify for this, you know, let me know. I was thinking, Jesus, this, how many more decades do I got to go uh, before I could qualify? <laughs> It's like, gee, that's a, that's a lot. It is a lot. That's very tired. There's, where do you find the time? I, I have to think. <laughs> I'm all for do your thing, but Jesus, I don't, we got to work, right? We have. <laughs> yeah. No, most of the people I've interviewed so far do have jobs and they're fairly successful at their jobs. <laughs> but yes, it, it's, um, it's an interesting project and it's not, at least not right now, it's not a research project. Okay. It's more of a, you know, it's a book and a documentary um, that I'm, I'm hoping to end up with. Um, and so I'm interviewing people who've had at least a thousand um, sexual partners defined broadly. So it doesn't yeah, have yeah, to be yeah. intercourse, um, you know, oral sex counts, um, mutual masturbation counts, kind of anything that could have potentially led to an orgasm mm -hmm. so just kissing and making out on the dance floor probably doesn't count but yeah it takes had... a very sensitive person for that one <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah. if you're that kind of person who can come from you know just making out on the dance floor then okay you can count those and power people. to you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is a lot of people. And so most of the um, interviewees are, um, you know, not in their 20s yeah. or early 30s. Um, they're, you know, many of them are, you know, 40 and, and 50. Um, although I do have <clears throat> the youngest one so far is a 29, almost 30 year old okay. gay guy. Um, and I know what everyone's thinking right now. I like right how we now. made the same. We, I mean, yeah, we made the same like, head nods. Yeah. Of course, gay guys. <laughs> it is easier for them. There's no doubt. Um, in fact, I don't know if I'm going to get to interview this person, but um, I was uh, sort of put in touch with this person who claims to have had sex with 30,000 men. Uh, he's, he's a gay guy in his 80s now. Uh, and he had a very... Still going very, strong at 80? Well, I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> I hope that I get the chance to interview him. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is a lot. But it, if, you know, if it's something that is, is a very important thing in your life it, and it's something that you dedicate, um, you know, substantial... Uh, amount of your free time to um you know it's 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 not impossible to get yeah. to that number the only um uh the only limitation is um those partners could not have been gotten through sex work okay um so it has to be on your own unpaid That's time fair. um so it's okay if um if you are a sex worker and have had uh, uh, you know partners through sex work but as long as you have at least a thousand um that were not acquired to se okay. through sex work. Okay. Now, what what brought about that? Because Casual Sex Project came first, right? Or no? Uh, they kind of came at the about same time. time. Okay. Isn't it beautiful when things come at the same time? <laughs> no. uh, but <laughs> Indeed. So, so what brought about uh, the interest for, for a thousand partners to, to talk to those people? 
Um, that idea, um, I mean, I've always been interested in um, uh, highly sexual people and highly sexual lifestyles. And, um, you know, my interest in studying casual sex um, in the first place comes from that sort of interest in, um, you know, who are the people who have um, highly sexual lifestyles. And certainly, you know, for the people who've had a thousand partners, most of those partners were clearly casual. Yeah. So a lot of that you know, has grown from my interest in casual sex. Um, but um, the specific idea for the 1K project came when I was put in touch on Twitter by a, a mutual follower uh, with this woman who had just published a book called 10,000 Men and Counting. Um, and busy woman, a busy woman indeed. And I was like, wow, 10,000. Someone get her some water. That's a lot. <laughs> um, and I kind of looked at the book and, uh, it starts with, you know, this Wednesday I had sex with the 10,000th, you know, man in my life, um, sort of thing. And I, I was just fascinated and, and got in touch with her. Her name's, uh, Gwyneth, uh, Montenegro. Um, she's currently, I think in Australia promoting her book, um, and wanted to sort of learn a little more, you know, before even um, having a chance to read the book uh, of how she got to those partners. And so I asked her if she was a sex worker and she said she, she was for um, a number of years. So a lot of those um, partners were through sex work. But that got me thinking um, of, of this possibility of just kind of talking to people who um, have a lot of partners not gotten through sex work. Um, so people who just thought that this was an important thing to do in their life or it's just something that they like to do a lot. And I think putting the stories, the real sort of stories behind that number um, with, if not real names and faces, but, you know, um, you know the real jobs and, and where they came from and how they grew up and, um, you know, what they do and, you know, what kind of love, uh, you know, lives they have. Um, how do they manage, you know, what are the logistics of that? Uh, and then some other issues that, that come up, like slut-shaming, which you mm -hmm. mentioned. You know, if anyone's getting slut-shamed, these people should be, you know, the number one um, recipients of um, that kind of um, attitude. Which is interesting, uh, Which, if you bring up, you know, when we're talking about, uh, th I guess, three and four-digit uh, uh, numbers of partners, you know, a thousand partners for a woman, slut, but, well, Chamberlain's the man, right, you know? Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's fascinating to see how these women, especially, I mean, the men to some extent, but um, the women, how do they deal with that? And, um, and also other issues like, um, you know, on many people's minds when they first hear about you know, this kind of very high number of partners is, well, what about diseases? You know, are these people using condoms and protecting themselves? Are they, you know, having STIs all the time and spreading them around? And mm. um, so that's sort of another um, area that I want to explore with them. Um, another one is alcohol and drug use with sex. You know, a lot of the stereotypes about this are, you know, these are, you know, these people are just having drug and alcohol and, you know, infused um, orgies and who knows what. But it's, it's all of these who knows what, you know, all of these kind of questions about what these people do and how they do it that um, I want to dispel. If, there are, if any of those are myths, I want to present what real 
people do. Um, and again, just like with the Casual Sex Project, the only agenda here is to show the diversity mm -hmm. of experiences. So I'm hoping to get people who you know think of um, of their sexuality and highly sexual lifestyles in sort of a positive way, right? Enjoy what they do, are happy with what they do, um, have no plans or attempts to change who they are, but also the people for whom it's a negative thing, you know, who, who see their desire, um, you know, to, to go and have sex with so many people as something uh, destructive or something that they would really like to get rid of um, in, in their lives mm. and have maybe sought <coughs> therapy, um, to address this as a problem and has created problems in their lives. So I, I kind of, again, want the diversity and the variety of, um, of stories behind that same number. Right. I think that's great. I think it's, uh, it really does help uh, normalize as, as we very, very slowly progress this place where sex does not have to be this big, scary thing or a shameful act. And I think things like the casual sex project or, uh, 1K project, I will admit, for me, is more, it's more I'm just interested in, in hearing, <laughs> but if, maybe more of an outlier thing. But, I mean, the casual sex project, I, f I feel like if you knew that your best friend w was having all this, like, was having some crazy casual sex or having some interesting experiences, maybe you would either uh, feel more safe being honest about your own, uh, int uh, your own experiences or be feel safer exploring your own interests that you felt like you shouldn't because you're not supposed to right like mm -hmm. uh and, and i mean comes up with your shirt i mean you she's wearing a uh the doc is wearing this great shirt it says define quote unquote slut and i love it and i think it couldn't be more uh poignant is is, is a shirt that says yeah like maybe i i mean like for me i call i'm very much Oh, I call myself a man whore with like a heart of gold, like, uh, because it doesn't have to be this negative thing. It doesn't have to be shameful. It doesn't have to also be, you know, when a guy is a slut, it doesn't have to be this guy who's conquesting quote unquote mad bitches, bro. Like it can be many things, just someone who enjoys sex and sexuality. And yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, um, the, the normalizing aspect, I think, even even in the One K project, even the even though these people, these particular people, are outliers, and you know they constitute about 0.1 percent of the population, if that. Um, but if you can see that those people are, you know, sort of normal, regular, kind of next door kind of person who might be living literally in in you yeah. know the the house next to you, then you know the people who've had 20 partners or 50 partners or 100 partners you might think are, you know, crazy or damaged or, you know, whatever stereotypes you may right. have about them just because they are on the more sexually active end of the spectrum, um, you know, it might dispel some of those myths. Right. Um, like, I don't want to compare... Um uh, in a sex positive way, I don't want. I don't want to compare like sluts to and say that they've had the same persecution at the level as like you know, for example, gay people. But mm -hmm. you know, it used to be that like there was just a you know in the fifties, uh, if the guy's gay, it's got to be he has to be this particular thing. And, and as soon as you started to know people and people started coming out, you'd be like, oh, they're like, it's just Jim next door. It's mm -hmm. he's just a guy. Yeah. And, I think that's a really important thing that we were slowly getting to and, and projects like yours and research like yours is, is definitely helping us get there. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the prejudices against 
um, people who are highly sexually active and who engage in, in casual sex, especially if they engage in it a lot, um, is still very strong. And that's, you know, one of the next sort of frontiers in what we have to, um, you know, deal with and, and fight. Um, you know, there are no specific rights, you know, like with gay rights or with, uh, you know, transgender rights. Mm-hmm. It, there's nothing, you know, similar in this particular case. Um, but on a social level, you know, we we do have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, even when it's not persecution, I think just just ignorance and not understanding. Like, for example, my father, I, uh, a couple of weeks, like a month ago, I went, had like a brunch with my, my, my dad and a couple of my sisters. And he sits down, he, my dad's in real estate. Mm. And he sits down, he's like, Billy, did you know? Now, he doesn't know, like, he knows that, like, things are probably happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't, like, he doesn't know, like, how I identify for anything, right? But he sits down, but he, you know, he knows I have a, a podcast called The Man or a Pot. He sits down, and he goes, Billy, uh, I read this thing. There's this guy who just opened a house where the requirement to live there is uh, you have to have had, you have to have multiple sexual partners. <laughs> isn't, isn't that crazy? I'm like, oh yeah, that's Leon. He's, uh, but it's a, it's a poly household. It's not exactly about just like fucking a bunch of people. It's, it's a little bit higher level than that. But yeah, yes, I've heard about it. Uh, <laughs> but, and that's just because he look, doesn't know better. You know? Look at what you did. What? It's a higher level. It's not just about fucking a, couple, a lot of people. It's a higher level than that. It's, it's a different So even thing. you just slut shame the people for whom it might be about having a lot of sex with a lot of people. Well, I, I, meant, I meant that in a way that uh, the, the term poly gets, or, you know, polyamory gets just misunderstood a lot. That's true. And that it's, it's about more than that, because it is. It's, it's not about just sex, because I, I, it's not that sex is below love or anything, but it involves more than just the sex. So, yeah, uh, you know, people just not knowing what like polyamory mm-hmm. is or oh absolutely uh, there's a lot of ignorance still out there yeah. about people that. don't understanding you know uh transgender people still you know i mm-hmm. i've got to go have dinner with my dad and, and my grandfather so my dad will at least understand that there's a thing called transgender and and my grandpa probably just thinks it's the guy who likes to wear a dress when he's alone like yeah we're, we're i think we're <laughs> slowly getting there generation by generation i like that <laughs> i like to get there uh speaking about uh various sexualities you know you another thing that you've worked a lot on uh i've read some of your research on a lot of big words uh in those journals guys uh, but yeah I, I can't believe that you were reading the actual academic papers in the academic journals those are I put the those work, are for academics i put the work in okay i, uh, I do the research uh, even if i don't understand the words in that research i will do it um but you do a lot so now you've had some papers on something that you call mostly heterosexuality about uh people who who identify, uh, your paper's mostly about, or the one I read was about people who identify as heterosexual, but have uh, same-sex leanings, but don't identify, you know, but they don't identify as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also suggested on the other end of it, gay people who have different sex leanings, right? So you were suggesting uh, that it would be plausible to have an, a more in-between uh, sexuality identifier. Yeah, so... I mean, the idea that sex, sexual orientation is is not a two-category thing or even mm. a three-category thing, you know, gay, straight, and bi, uh, is not new. You know, it's been around since Kinsey and even before Kinsey. Yeah. Um, but in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, um, despite 
the Kinsey scale, uh, pretty much all of the research that has been done uh, on sexual orientation has used either two categories, you know, gay, straight, or three categories, gay, bi, straight. And um, um, more recently, more and more studies have actually looked at these in-between categories. Um, The people who, um, if you give them, uh, say, a five-point scale... Um, or a seven-point scale, they will choose something that's kind of in between. And we find that um, those who say, you know, they're mostly heterosexual, um, who are not, you know, entirely heterosexual, Mm -hmm. but they're not same-sex oriented enough to consider themselves or be considered by others bisexual. So when you give them only a three-point scale they'll almost always identify as hetero. Mm-hmm. But if you give them this five-point scale, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind like a of, two, I'm a yeah, four, yeah. Exactly, I'm a two, a four. So there's a little bit of that you know, other sexuality that's not your primary interest. And um, there have been now a number of, of large nationally representative uh, studies that have used these more sensitive scales, and we find that um, actually the largest non-heterosexual category out there is the mostly heterosexual. Mm-hmm. So the mostly heterosexuals make up about 9% of the population. Interesting. That's more that's, that's than bisexuals, and gays, mostly yeah. gays, and gays combined, often. Yeah. Um, especially among women. Among women, this category is even, um, is even higher. So among, uh, among women, it's about you know, 10%. Um, among young, young women and college women, it's up to 15%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and among men, it's about four or five. Uh, depends on the depends on the study. One of the things I found really interesting about at least the the, the paper I read was that uh, women. It's again now I'm not I'm not a researcher, so you can tell me if I interpreted this horrendously <laughs> wrong. But it right, seemed let's to let's see what you learned. It seemed to have reinforced the idea that uh, female sexuality is very fluid. Uh, because it, mostly the women were willing to to go with a a different modifier, but also that men, you know, the ones who would identify as mostly heterosexual did not have a lot of same sex behaviors, but they had a lot of same sex attractions or fantasies. I thought it was interesting that the women seemed to who identified as mostly were more willing to actually act on it mm. versus the men. Yeah, so we, I mean... Was I close? Was I at all? Yeah, yeah, you you were kind of there. (laughs) I mean, we do find that um, study after study has found that women are more fluid in their sexuality when it comes to sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So they are more likely to identify... Excuse me. They are more likely to identify as um, something other than heterosexual or... Uh, lesbian, mm-hmm. um, so somewhere you know in between, some some level of bisexuality, they're more likely to um, um, change their labels over time. They're more likely to experiment with you know more different kinds of <clears throat> um, experiences and and thoughts and and fantasies. Um, their genitals are more likely to become aroused to a lot of different kinds of sexual stimuli compared to men who are more specific, you know, who get turned on by either the men or the, the women that, you know, they have a primary sort of attraction to. Um, and they're less likely to change labels over time. Yeah. Uh, they're less likely to identify as bisexual. That is not to say that there are no bisexual men or that all women are bisexual. Yeah, we don't want to get them upset. They will get very... 
<laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, but we do find that there is a gender difference there. Women are more likely um, to be more fluid. Um, although, you know, newer studies with more recent generations are showing more and more uh, openness by men to also kind of explore and, and um, move away from that complete exclusivity. Um, now, the behavior stuff is interesting. So we find uh, a lot of the studies have found that the women who identify as mostly straight, they actually have more sexual partners um, than the heterosexual women, but not just same-sex partners. So they're not just more likely to hook up with women than are heterosexual women, which you might expect, right, if they're yeah. more same-sex oriented than the heterosexual women. Um, but they're also more likely, they have more male partners than the heterosexual women. So it seems like they're just more sexual in general. Period, yeah. They maybe have higher sex drive or just greater sexual interest or maybe greater desire to explore and experiment in that, in that direction. Uh, perhaps, perhaps they are more sensation-seeking um, as a personality trait. Um, and, and we're doing more studies to kind of figure out these personality differences. Um, for men... Uh, on the other hand, we don't see that difference. So um, mostly hetero men are not more likely to have female partners than hetero men. Mm. You know, they don't have more sex with women than hetero men do. But they do have more same-sex experiences. Well, do you think that's partially because, uh, and, and not to categorically say that this is easier, but let's, I mean, let's be a little honest. It's, it's easier to hook up with a guy than for like a, uh, a mostly straight guy to, to hook up with more women. So does that, do you think that's kind of like a, mm. a natural thing that like, well, of course they might have more, um, more same sex partners because, because of opportunity. Yeah. Um, that could play a role. Yeah. Um, although, you know, with, who knows with younger guys usually it takes them a while before they, sort of decide to um, have same-sex experiences because of all the social stigma. You know, even if you yeah. want it, um, you might not want to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of, uh, that force is opposite of the, yes, but if you wanted to get it, it would be easier to get it, but you might not, you know, allow yourself to go and look for it. Uh, because we're not talking about people who are very strongly um, attracted to men. Right? We're just a little about, bit. It's just a little bit. Like it was a night in college. It's, uh, and every once in a while it might be. Right. So unless an opportunity presents itself, you're less likely to actually go out and seek it out. You know, mm. you're less likely to, I don't know, go on Grindr or Craigslist and, you know, find someone or go to a gay bar. You know, these people are not men who identify. Seeking it. Yeah, not seeking it. But if, yeah. uh, if the guy, happened. he bought me a drink, he was pretty cute. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's have well, a night. Yeah. Who knows? Or um, I hear... Um, <clears throat> during my, my research on non-monogamy and stuff, um, a lot of these men are men who um, they will do something with guys in group sex situations, yeah. right? When there's another woman or more, more than one woman present. <clears throat> they kind of let loose a little bit more because they're like, hey, just right now I'm going to go with the energy. Uh, it doesn't make me gay just because I touched the dick. It's okay. Uh, exactly. It's not going to burn my hand off. It's just, <laughs> but it's there and I, I should help out. <laughs> right. It's all part of this very kind of sexual, heated moment. Mm, yeah. um, so when um, some have explained it as, you know, when I'm already really aroused and in a, in a sexual situation, then it doesn't really matter. Then everything that's sexual 
you know, I wanted and yeah. uh, I'm attracted to because I'm already aroused. Um, but when I'm not aroused, when I'm just, you know, at a bar and having drinks with people, then I'm not going to, you know, see this guy and be like, oh, I want to have sex with you. You know, even if I see someone who I think is an attractive man, I'm not necessarily, you know, pulled towards him to do something with him. Okay. But if we happen to be all naked, you know, in a big group of people and eh, already, yeah. you know, sexual and... Big dog pile. Exactly. Yeah. You grab what you can, uh, <laughs> but now so but you know so you, so you're saying that we should we might want to consider uh, offering up some some of these other options. But what about what about pansexual? Why doesn't that cover it? Pansexual is an interesting category. Very interesting. I have many mixed emotions about that being a category. <laughs> a lot of people do, yeah. um, and in research. It has been difficult to work with it as a category because it's not very well defined, mm -hmm. right? And it can mean different things to different people. Um, on one hand, if you're just thinking about sexual orientation, it kind of is the same as bisexual, yeah. right? Um, but then other people uh, or some people want to add other aspects such as gender mm -hmm. orientation. So, you know, I'm attracted to queer people yeah. or I'm attracted it's to trans people. It's for the bi people who also like trans people. Right, that's exactly. I'm, I'm, that, that's the <laughs> only saving grace has made me not think that the term is for like depressed high school kids on Tumblr. It's been like, well, okay, I, I kind of get it then. It's for, the, for bi people because some, some bisexual people don't like trans, uh, mm -hmm. transgender partners. So that's also how I came to terms with cisgender being a thing I don't have to get angry about hearing because like, okay, in the community, like if you're in a, a, a community where everyone's got all different sorts of modifiers, mm. it's an easier thing uh, for me to say I'm a cis man because now no one's got to like ask, well, what do you identify? Like, right. It's right. a, it's an easier shorthand, but not something <laughs> I'm going to go say like on an okay Cupid profile because uh, you're in a more <laughs> general community. So mm -hmm. you don't, it's kind of assumed that I'm cis. Right. So and most people won't have any usually. idea what cis means anyway in yeah. that in that sort of general population. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so pan pansexual, you know, it has its pros and cons from that perspective. Um, but in, and in research, it's difficult to work with it because um, very, very few people identify with it. Mm -hmm. So we've done studies where, you know, we offer the, the usual suspects and then we say something like unlabeled. Um, pansexual and then other, you know, please specify. And only one or two people in a in a you know big sample of five, four, you know, six hundred will choose that. And you can't really work with that. Yeah, you can't run statistical analyses. You know, it's it's just. Um, Found a large enough sample size to, exactly. to actually study, you know, pansexuals. Yeah, you could, which is do still pretty new. Like it's, I I only started hearing that term in the last, I want to say like three, four years. I mean, so I can't imagine it's. It's been around. It's been around for a little longer than well, that. Well, yeah, longer but, than that. But I'm saying I'm also 12, so like I right, exactly. Three, four. You know, <laughs> I not like I. I don't. I don't come on here saying that I am at all an expert or the most experienced person in the world. I'm just a guy, uh, a young fellow who. It's a bit of a whore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, so, that's it. I mean, uh, there there have been a little bit of research. Um, I think qualitative research where. You know, you specifically go out and, and seek out people who identify as pansexual and then you can ask them, you know, what that means to them and, you know, why they've chosen that that um, identifier. Uh, but even that has been pretty rare. I just read a, a study very recently which compared the sexual orientation um, identities chosen by polyamorous people versus okay. 
non-polyamorous people. That's very interesting. Yeah, and the poly people, uh, and I'm sure the poly people won't be surprised at all to hear this, but um, the poly people were much more likely to choose non-traditional um, sexual orientation identifiers compared to the um, uh, the non-poly people. So so things like pansexual um, and, and other sort of sexual orientation identifiers were much more common, mostly hetero, mostly gay, you know, these sort of in-between categories. Right. Um, Interesting stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, for, for poly people, their sexuality is something that they've clearly thought about <clears throat> a lot more, perhaps, than, than uh, you know, a lot of mono uh, people. <laughs> um, Those fucking monos. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> So, that, you know, their sexual orientation is is one sort of aspect of that, too. And um, if these are people who are just in general more open about their sexuality, about exploring different facets and, and aspects of their, their sexuality, then it's not surprising that they may have sort of stumbled upon other things that um, are, you know, less prevalent in the general population. Okay. All right. now, now, being a sex researcher, you know, is that... That at all difficult sometimes in the academic community, someone um, taking it seriously. I know, you know, way, way back when people like Kinsey or, or Masters and Johnson, love that show, Masters of Sex, really great show. Um, though, you know, they had a, lo- a lot of pushback in a, a way more conservative era. Uh, but, you know, do you still get some, any pushback to, for these uh, alternative sexual studies, you're not just studying the sexuality, the general, you know, you're not just studying sex, you're, you're, you study non-monogamy, that's still pretty taboo, you're, um, these different sex, you're already, you know, it's like there's a curmudgeon old men be like, listen, we, we let you guys have bi's and gays and even the trans, but come on now, no more, don't make me have to deal with more new sexualities, I can't handle it. Do you get, do you get any, uh, some trouble sometimes in your work? Um, yes, um, Yes and no. It, it's certainly not as bad as it was for Kinsey um, back in the day. Uh, there is definitely more respect within the um, academic community uh, for sex research in general. Um, although we still, as far as you know, sex research in general is concerned, we still do get a lot of pushback from uh, conservative, like politically conservative mm-hmm. uh, organizations and, and funding uh, bodies and politicians uh, themselves. You know, a lot of the research that's being funded, <clears throat> um, all sorts of research that's being funded is funded through, um, you know, federal money. And th- when it comes to federal money, you know, yeah. politicians kind of do have um, uh, an opportunity to s- they yeah. kind of put it wherever Jesus tells them to. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of them don't want to put it into sex research. So um, we're, um, you know, a little bit um, you know, uh, limited by that. Uh, there's usually a lot of research money for things like, um, you know, HIV and AIDS research and, um, uh, you know, substance use um, in relationship to sexuality or sexual coercion and rape. Um, but usually for the more kind of alternative aspects of sexuality, you know, the things that I'm interested in, there's a lot less that big federal, um, money to fund it. So that's one area where we do, you know, get a little bit of, of pushback. Um, but within the sex research community, if you, you know, kind of think about the, the people who are the, old guard and who might be more interested in uh, relationship, sexuality, or love, and that kind of stuff. And, and now, you know, here come the 
um, this new generation of people ex- studying casual sex and non-monogamy and promiscuity mm. and, and uh, you know, BDSM and kinks. Um, uh, there, is, um, there is some pushback there too, you know, and yeah. you see that in, in, in less subtle or in more subtle ways than, um, um, than maybe in the past, you know, when you get the way the research process works, right? You you write a paper, a study, and then you submit it to a journal, and then um, the editor sends your paper to, you know, three reviewers who don't necessarily know who you are. It's usually right. a blind review, and then you get their reviews back. And oftentimes, you see a lot of hostility in those reviews, and people will say, why is this important to study? You know, this is not important. Or um, so... In, yeah, especially in those anonymous kind of um, interactions that you have with colleagues, there is, um, yeah, there's uh, there's some stigma against that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, sex researchers and relationship researchers are becoming more and more open toward these things. You know, recently there was a paper that came out in a very sort of high-level journal by um, uh, researchers who are themselves not, you know, non-monogamy researchers or casual sex researchers. In fact, they are um, sort of marriage and relationship uh, researchers. And and, uh, that paper was about how um, the American marriage of today is very suffocating to a lot of people. And one of the suggestions that they um, had as to how to bring more oxygen, you know, to, to these marriages was to perhaps open it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was a mainstream journal by mainstream researchers suggesting that maybe non-monogamy, you know, could be an option for a lot of couples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's, you know, as uh, our society is becoming more open to these various alternatives, um, so are sex researchers. So it's, it's really exciting to be a sex researcher studying these sort of edgy topics today in today's world. I got to tell you, it's exciting. Uh, someone re- who likes to read about it, uh, it, it gets more exciting uh, as a reader. And again, because it's all, it's never about, hey, you shouldn't be monogamous. You shouldn't be straight, uh, the majority or anything. You just should let everyone do their thing though. And not mm-hmm. block everyone else from enjoying whatever it is they enjoy, even if it's pretend to be a centaur. As you know, as much as as much <laughs> as that's where I sometimes draw the psychological line. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's it's really exciting stuff today. And I, I like I like you know, I'm very happy that you do what you do, and that there are other people doing it too, and that we can hopefully get to a better place where everyone can just uh, come the way they like to without anyone busting in the door. <laughs> that would be my ideal world, yes, right. where as long as, um, you know, we're talking about consenting adults um, engaging in sexual activity that makes them happy, they should be doing it however they want to be doing it, and everyone should be okay with that. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, although I don't, I don't know that amen's a proper thing, because <laughs> people who say amen are the, usually the reason why we have such a hard time in the first yeah, place. Yeah, there's that. Uh, <laughs> because before they had amen in ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, they had plenty of wild sex so mm. um so you uh so so you do you do workshops right uh in new york and around the country sometimes um <laughs> as a sex educator i have started recently to you know give more talks um on some of these topics okay. um but they're not as much you know workshops as they are talks presenting um information okay um 
like actual you know studies and, and science sort of science tidbits about these things about casual sex about uh, non-monogamy and, and mostly heterosexuality some of them open to the public I remember you had one uh, a couple weeks ago in New York uh I tried to make it out too. But. Yeah, I did one uh, for Open Love New York okay. um, a couple of weeks ago for one of their discussion sort of um, meetups where almost 70 people showed up. Uh, it was the largest um, yeah. uh, turnout they've had. Um, yeah, and for that one, I summarized the research on non-monogamy, on consensual mm-hmm. non-monogamy from the aspect of uh, stigma, uh, relationship quality, you know, uh, and satisfaction, personal well-being and satisfaction, um, you know, family sort of well-being and the children, which is something that you know a lot of people fear uh, when it comes to consensual non-monogamy. So that's that's what that talk was. Yeah. So uh, so people want to check out people want to check out the Casual Sex Project. They uh, for the Casual Sex Project it is uh, the website is casualsexproject.com. Yeah, thecasualsexproject.com, but casualsexproject.com will get you there as well. Okay, uh, and people want to check out your work. They want to they want to read your studies. They want to, okay, maybe they want to read the dense stuff like I did, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a nerd. But they want to they want to read your writings. They want to keep up with you and what you're doing. You know, where can they go? Um, a couple of places. Uh, my website, jeanavrangalova.com, um, kind of has a lot of these things, but probably no one can spell that. Um, so the easiest way to find me is on Twitter as mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Jana or D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. Mm-hmm. I tweet every day about um, the latest sex research studies that um, have come out that I find interesting. Um, so, you know, if that's of interest... Um, please follow me on Twitter. I also have a Facebook page where I post all of the things that I write. Um, and that's the same face, facebook.com slash Dr. Jana. Um, I also have a monthly newsletter, which if you subscribe uh, to, you'll get, you know, monthly updates about everything that I do. Um, and my psychology today blog, uh, called strictly casual is about the science of hookups. So some of the stuff that we were talking about, um, today, um, is um, is on there. So any of those places, you know, find me in one place, and then you'll find all the other ones yeah. too. Guys, I follow her on Twitter. Uh, definitely check it out. She tweets out all sorts of interesting articles, uh, both hers and and other people's. Very cool stuff. Thank you so much for for being with us today. Uh, Thank really you for having it. me. Yeah, this that was is very fun. fun. Um, okay, we're gonna head out. Bye. Oh man, what an episode! Wow. Did you learn something all? Did you guys learn something? Was that not fun? Was that cool? Super fun time talking to, to Dr. Vrangalova. So much fun. If you guys re- if you guys enjoyed listening to her, I really I gotta encourage I myself follow her on the Twitter. She posts a lot of great articles, really cool stuff. Check her out on Twitter at Dr. Jana. That's uh, at D-R-Z-H-A-N-A, Dr. Jana. And uh, if you want to check out more about the Casual Sex Project, if you want to read some of the stories, if you want to submit your own story anonymously, go to www.thecasualsexproject.com. And if you enjoyed the show, guys, if you enjoyed that conversation, please, please uh, do leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Leave a comment on SoundCloud or whatever device or app you like to listen to your podcasts on. You know, let it'll let other people know that it's worth listening to. If that's what you think it is, definitely share it with your friends. Uh, share it with your mom. That's gonna be a fun conversation starter, right? 
Hey mom, you probably went to an orgy in the 70s, right? Cool, why don't you listen to this and we can like talk about it. No? Okay, fine, don't. As always, do email your comments, your your questions to the show. Uh, you can email those to manhorpod at gmail.com. Then come say hi to me on Twitter at TheBillyProceda. Use the hashtag manhorpodcast. Let me know what you think about the show. As always, I'll be here every Wednesday. You'll be here whichever day you choose to do because the internet is cool like that. Have an amazing week, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your weekend. And as always, stay slutty.